What's up, guys? Welcome to a Roaring Podcast from Roaring.io, where we talk to some of the best in tech and product management. My name is Jesper Kask, and I'm your host. Kishan is currently the COO of Bembla, revolutionizing the way we digitally purchase groceries. Previously, he has been part of the success of companies like Peach, the French-African version of Uber, and Sweet's new favorite app, TipTap. We talk about how customer insight is crucial to product development and management, how to create feedback loops from customers, and conducting drunk user testing. Enjoy. It's great to have you here, and I'm really excited for, for today's episode. Uh, let, just to kick us off, uh, what's the story behind Vembla? It started as a, a grocery delivery uh, logistics company. So we started delivering from retail stores uh, and it was in the beginning of the pandemic uh, where older people especially couldn't be um, shopping in the stores. So um, the founding idea was, okay, well, let's make it easier for them. And uh, we also didn't see that there was um, these type of uh, services in Sweden in, in general. You had uh, delivery options of getting um, in two days or three days or like later this week, but you didn't have anything that felt fast. So when we launched, we delivered in one hour from local grocery stores. So we opened up a lot of um, partnerships with the Ica here in Sweden and uh, Hamshop and so local uh, retail uh, that were already established and, and uh, very big in Sweden. Mm. And what's been the key, in your opinion, to Vembla's success uh, since the launch and, and your rapid growth? I think the timing uh, due to the, pan uh, the pandemic, uh, where a lot of people had to shift their behavior, uh, they had to start ordering uh, groceries online uh, because people didn't want to go into the stores. The stores were also limited. You could only be like 50 or 100 people in a store. And also you can go in with your family. They limited it to just you uh, as a singular person to be able to go in. So that was a push um, that pushed it faster uh, for this evolution. So some people call it that what we're doing is a revolution, but uh, no, it's an evolution because this was already happening years before. Uh, it just got much faster at a higher pace um, during uh, COVID. Mm. And the shift in society towards these digital high-paced rapid response solutions like yours uh, are becoming increasingly evident. Um, why do you think that is? Uh, you have to go like back in, 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 in like decades uh, to see like the, how how it has evolved. So if you go back, uh, you had this type of uh, business trying out already in the early two thousands, uh, but it was not mature yet. People were not ready for on demand economy in that sense, where it has evolved a lot in the last uh, past twenty years. Um, in the last financial crisis, you had the push of uh, many new companies started then, uh, such as Airbnb, Uber, uh, and so on. And it was because a lot of people really needed uh, a job. Uh, it was really unfortunate circumstances. And in that way, you could actually build a big supply pool because you had a lot of people that wanted to work. At the same time, you also the, te the technique was already evolved enough to be able to build apps that could uh, balance the supply and you would get the demand. So all of a sudden you had marketplaces within service sectors that started uh, growing quite fast. And everyone knows the story about Uber and Airbnb and all of these platforms that have grown since then. And at the same time, 
that was a start. But then you started seeing food delivery and you started seeing uh, grocery delivery and everything started evolving from that. And today, I think you can get delivered anything. And we see a lot of different spectrums where it's... Um, they're looking for what is the consumer really looking for. And every consumer has different type of behaviors. So you have the box delivery where you go and pick up your stuff in a box in your retail store or at the bus station. So all these companies are trying to figure out what is it that the consumer really wants. But in combination with something that's very important to also understand why we're here today is that you had social media and the life uh, with the dating and so on, where everything was so instant gratification um, on steroids, right? You could just like upload a picture and you get likes and you get this, uh, these kicks by it, endorphin kicks and so on. And then you had uh, dating as well. You just swipe right and then you meet a new person. So everything just evolved so fast. Like everything that we do in our life is so much faster today than it was then. And it's because of technology. And this is where it leads us to where we are today, where people want things now and they don't want to wait tomorrow. Like even if you buy a car, you want it now. Even if it's a big purchase, you still want it now. So that's where we are today. And you want to cater to what people want now. So, so what can B2B companies do to keep up with this change? Because we see it a lot in D2C and B2C, uh, but not as much in B2B. It is. I think it's like the never-ending uh, question for big companies to to. Um, they have this challenge, and they've always had the challenge. It's because of hierarchy, it's because of legacy, it's because of internal politics, and this is why smaller companies uh, usually run past them because they they are so much faster at making decisions. So uh, a big change is a cultural change, and I think that's going to be that's a big big challenge for these big companies because they have such a legacy when it comes to culture, and um, but. The, a lot of times, like when I have friends that are in management, they big companies, and the only thing that I tell them, just keep hiring younger people with experience that have done this before. These are the people that would be, they are already in that mindset that they want to make things happen all the time. They don't want to get bored. They don't want to have a six month uh, decision cycle. And these are, I think, the number one things for these big companies to start getting out from. And number two is to maybe start doing, you know, startups within your companies, but give them freedom. Don't, don't like breathe in their neck because a lot of people think, especially I think in the older generation, they think that they already know everything. They already know uh, their markets, but the market is changing. Everything is changing. The world is changing. Every day is changing. So you need to bring people that are adaptable. There is like this... Uh, a famous quote that I always try to mention people, and it's very simple. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're smart or the strongest, it's always the one that is most adaptable that will be the one surviving. And I think these companies need to become more adaptable. And I think more and more big companies are realizing this. And it's funny how long it took, but it had to, they had to see uh, other big companies really fall. And that gave them like, shit something is happening because these big companies are not existing anymore and they're like big legacy companies that they grew up with and they looked up to and so on so those are i think few pointers but in the end this is a cultural change i think that is the big challenge i also wanted to ask you because one of the sort of strongest passions that you have is is uh, customer insights and and what it means to product development could you elaborate a little on that yeah, I mean, it, it, it took many, like many years. I'm, I'm speaking like as if I was uh, 
super old, but it, it took uh, a lot of a lot of ups and downs to understand. Uh, one is that you are not right, like as me as myself. Like I won't be the core uh, user of our platforms. If you are focusing in a B two C market, it's really big, and everyone is different. And I am fortunate to be one of maybe the one two percenters, but the majority is not there. So that's one number one thing is that I learned is that I need to pick myself out of the equation. And this has been also a philosophy for bringing into any company that I'm at is like, just forget what you think. You need to understand what the market thinks, which is your consumers. So one of the big values that we, and that I've always brought with me is like community first, especially when it comes to marketplaces where you have a balance of, let's say riders or drivers or whatever it would be. And then you have a side of, of consumers. So they are your first priority because without riders, you have no business and they are also your ambassadors and you want them to understand and be, feel part of the journey. And without the consumers, you have also no business because they are the ones that are supporting your idea and your business model and thesis and everything. So that is, you need to have that mindset first. And when you have that mindset, then it becomes very natural that you want to have customer insight and you want to have customer insight all the time. It's not just when you feel like it. You need to feed your, your, your team, yourself with customer insight all the time to understand these, this is what the customers say. Because when you show it to everyone in the team, they all get that mindset because they see it on black and white. Sometimes it's just one person that gets all this customer insight and then they try to explain it but people don't understand it. So this is one of the number one things that we always set up in the beginning of a company. It's like, show us the feedback to everyone in the company so everyone sees it all the time. So everyone has that mindset that, okay, users have feedback. Of course they have feedback. Yeah, and it enables you to, to have that constant feedback loop as well uh, yeah. in terms of iterating your product and providing new versions and, and new features and so on. Um, but how do you at Bambla, how do you collect these customer insights and what does that process look like? It's a lot of channels that we use. Um, so you have the standard survey uh, where you can do. Uh, and if we take one channel at a time, survey is not something you want to spam your users with. But when you do it, you want to also get some uh, reward for it. Uh, because they do, like you have your power users and your early adopters, they really want to help you. So you should get the help from them. They're telling you literally what to do. Uh, but the rest of the community that you might have might not even want to spend a second on you. But if you reward them, they will. So that is like number one thing. And I see a lot of companies just spamming out surveys and they expect me to spend my time to just fill it out for them. And I was like, what do I get for it? And that's just normal human behavior. And uh, number two, when it comes to surveys, I also see this all the time. I just got one yesterday. I was like, what? Why are they asking these questions? And a lot of the questions that people ask are open questions. You cannot ask those things because it's like saying to, to a kid, uh, what do you want for Christmas? And they will tell you all types of things. But if you ask them, what do you need for Christmas? They will just tell you what they want. It's not what they need. So you need to phrase the questions very, um, very clear uh, towards uh, your your users that you are trying to get information from, and uh, not ask what do you need, what would you want to have in the app. That is very open. More say uh, what is not working today, and what is working today. 
then it's kind of clear like the answer is okay this is working this is not working and it gives you the information that you really need to improve on and you it is more science to it there is like this mom's uh, uh, test survey i think article where you can read and really understand this there's a lot of books around it to really understand how you ask these questions to get the answers that you really want so that is one <laughs> one way to get the, the customer insight then there is app analytics, which is kind of straightforward. Uh, then you need to, so we are an app based company. So, uh, most of our, like our business is on an app. Uh, our users are on apps. So we need to understand the behavior on the app. And this is pure data. So you understand where they're falling off, how much time they're spending, how long does it take them, them for them from when they open the app to purchase? Because in the end, you're a business. You need to understand how can we minimize all the frictions so they purchase faster. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one thing. And then you have marketing analytics that also shows you, depending on where they come from, which channel marketing channels they come from, also gives you more insight on where your customers are. So you actually understand that you maybe should just spend money on certain channels and not everything. Uh, and I think this is also a very like weird thing. Sometimes you see where people are spending a lot of money on TV and they have existed for six months. It's like, no one knows your brand. You're not Adidas, you're not Nike. So uh, it's also a few things. Then you also have customer metrics. And before you, uh, you start taking decisions on customer metrics, you need to understand what is your core KPIs? What makes your service tick? Like, what is it that makes the users love what you do. And if you don't understand that, then there's no point really even gathering insight yourself. So what is your service? What is the value of it? What are USPs of it? And then from there, you can start uh, phrasing these questions and also having uh, ongoing feedback loops all the time. So one of the first things that we did was to build order rating into the app, like just right away. And actually, it's not that many apps in our industry that do that. Why do we do that? Because we want to understand the rating of our service internally. You have app store ratings and so on. Everyone is like going crazy about that. But what is really happening internally with your service? Because every area is also different. You also will understand which uh, areas are have more challenges than others. And then you also understand maybe that the, the customers in this area are different from everyone else. Um, but you also can add questions there, like, okay, the service was great, the products were great, or the service was not good, the delivery was slow. Then it gives us also the feedback to understand this is what we need to improve on. So not everything is online. You also need to understand what your offline operations is really uh, uh, delivering or not. Mm. And then, one very important thing as well is our support analytics. So we have support tickets where people that work uh, customer care and they're amazing. And that's also a big part of tracking, like what types of support errands are always coming in? How can we reduce this? And this is just an operational mindset. And the more I'm talking with you about this, I just realized it's like, this is exactly how we work when it comes to operations, how we have the feedback loop within the team. How can we improve? How can we get more effective? This is exactly what we do with the users as well. Mm. And obviously there's a mix of quantitative and qualitative input there. Um, how do you see those two? Are, are, are they crucial to combine or could you live with one, one or the other? 
you want a mix. I mean, obviously you want volume because it gives you more certainty on what you're doing is right. But at the same time, you also want quality. But that's also hard. It's like if you do a quality uh, research on um, on a service that is provided to thousands of people, that's really hard to like pick who is actually giving you quality stuff or not. So I think uh, in our case, and the bigger we grow, it has to be a more of a quantitative uh, analyze and then understand where the, the, the tick is or where the problem would be. And how do you use this data and, and insights to, to feed the, the product development of your, of your service? Um, if we roll back a little bit to where um, one of my things was to always show the team what the feedback is going on, that concerns everyone. So everyone from engineering to product development to the management, everyone, I want them to see it all the time. So that is one of the things that already gives the engineering team and the tech leads and so on understanding of what our challenges are. Um, the product uh, development side, I mean, I did project lead or product until maybe a month ago. So for me, I was always, I always had a pulse on what our customers really are saying, like on a daily basis. It was kind of easy to always give this feedback back to the product uh, development. And at this stage now, it's more of a weekly syncs uh, all the time, uh, looking at the pain list from the support team. Like these are the biggest pains, looking at the feedback that we are getting from the users, looking at the surveys. This is what the users are really uh, saying. So it's more about having everyone involved and it works well still because we are a small team. And the challenge would be when you're a bigger team and how to keep that always like keep that DNA. And I know it is more challenging when you are bigger. And that's why I always leave a company when it's three, 400 people because it gets too challenging. Mm. And, and do you have any examples of, of where the insights or data that you've obtained from customers or prospects have sort of fueled the product development uh, in your team or even changed the course of it completely? Yeah, I actually have like two, two stories that comes top of my mind. One is actually about Vembla. And uh, what, one thing that the data really clearly showed us um, before we started our like dark store deliveries and instant deliveries, where we deliver from our, our own fulfillment centers, was that when we did the orders from the big grocery stores, a lot of the orders, or about 50% of the orders, were small orders. And small orders, also people in their mind are thinking they should be quick. And when you do small orders, it, it is possible to do it quick. And then the big orders were the other half. And those are more like weekly shopping in that sense. So that was uh, one indication that pushed us more to, okay, we should do our own fulfillment. We have a volume of smaller orders, two, three, 400 crowns. And then we have this bigger business with five to 1,000 crowns, 2,000, whatever it would be. So that was one of the, um, like, if you would define like, okay, this is a rationale to go towards this uh, business. That was one of the things that we realized from there and um, how the volume was split depending on the, uh, on the size of the order. Um, but then also looking at what's happening in the market and uh, instant delivery was convenience is what people are looking for. But to be honest, we were convenient even with our previous model where we delivered in one hour. 
So it's not like we have done that big of a change, uh, except that it's our own storage and our own warehouses, uh, which makes it easier to own the value chain and control. And the second story is more of a funny story because at Heat, uh, so Heat real quick is uh, a ride hailing company. So compared to Uber in, in Europe and Africa, and we were very focused on the nightlife uh, in that company, worked a lot with the nightclubs and so on. So one natural thing that we started after a while was drunk user testing. Uh, so we invited 150 design product people or and some of our users uh, to our office and you know gave them drinks and then uh, we um, gathered them in circles and they started testing the app and uh, we recorded it. Uh, we took notes to understand everything that they went through and uh, that was very interesting because it was not really focused on functions. It was more about copy. So copy is also so important when it comes to how you you are working with users, because if they don't understand your own copy, why they are going to get confused. So even if you have the greatest product, the greatest functionalities, if they don't know what they're used for and how they're used and so on, it makes no sense. So we learned a lot during uh, that uh, specific drunk user testing about copy. There is like a, another story, but this is about Uber. Uh, they also had this copy issue in Japan when it comes to their uh, referral. And they didn't understand. It took them two years to understand what, what was going on. Because in all their other countries, referral was a huge pain. It was just like it gave them an explosion in acquisition. And the reason why it didn't work in Japan was because of the copy. So in uh, in uh, European markets and in the US, it was like um, invite a friend. No, uh, yeah. So invite a friend and get five dollars to ride for, and they get five dollars. But in Japan, it's not culturally uh, okay to like intrude into someone else's life. So they had to rephrase it to something else where it was more welcoming, like as you're you're inviting someone to your house in a sense. So, and this took two years to figure out. So this is why it's so important that even when you start scaling and you're going global, to understand one thing is that every city has their own personality and their own culture. And then again, the, all of this that we've talked about so far, you have to redo that again for the next market. And this is where I think a lot of people also forget about. Yeah, you think you can copy and paste uh, what you've done previously. No. <laughs> yeah, I love that drunk test anyway. Um, <laughs> a bit unconventional, I suppose, but it, it's it's a great story. And what would you say is the biggest challenge when working with uh, customer insights and collecting and gathering and, and creating these feedback loops? Uh, one thing is consistency. Mm -hmm. It's always hard to keep uh, a consistent um, depending on how how much you grow and that priorities always shift and so on. So I think that is uh, is a very important thing. You need to really have people that are that are project leading that type of project to really love it, to really like really really want to like wake up in the morning and that's the only thing they want to do. And that's really hard, uh, I think, to to maintain that. Uh, and the second thing is uh, personal bias. And um, what happens with personal bias, even if you, you, you think that you are like taking yourself out of the equation, 
but then you have friends and family that are using your service or whatever and they tell you things and then you bring that back to the office and then then you're just like stuck on it so it is sometimes it's very important like when you recruit a new person who has never like touched your operations or your your app anything to ask them for for what they think and uh, look over everything so i think personal bias is a very um dangerous thing uh, mm. and i've run into that many times and i will not uh, lie and say that i'm not personally biased in at, um, in many cases and i try to always think about it but i've run into many cases where people think there's steve jobs and uh, i don't understand that it's like steve jobs is one in a billion he understood very clear what people wanted but dude you're not steve jobs just just drop it <laughs> And sort of to round off, as we're coming up on time, what what would you leave the listeners with in terms of your best uh, tips and pointers on on how to work with customer insights and and product development? Um, but be clear on what what is it that you really want to understand, like internally, um, remove the personal bias, and one of the most most critical things: less is more. Uh, more is not more. That is like one of the, 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 I even like, I think I've hung up like three or four, uh, paint things that says less is more all over the office, just for people to really understand that. And I think that is one of the very, uh, uh, one of the very big things that a lot of companies and startups, especially that want to do a lot of things at the same time, but you really don't need to do a lot of things. You just need to do a lot of good things or fewer good things rather than a lot of semi-good things. Mm. So basically stay objective, listen to the customer and understand them deeply, create feedback loops and what you just said. <laughs> Less is more. Less is more. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, listen, Hisham, it was great having you on. I really appreciated you taking the time to, to join us. And uh, Thank you. I look forward to, to speaking to you soon again. Cool. All right, man. Take care. You've been listening to an episode of a Roaring podcast by Roaring.io. Feel free to share it with your friend, colleague, or peer if you liked it. If you wish to stay connected to us, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. <laughs>